plans submitted by the federal and District of Columbia governments. As Laura continued selecting clothes to pack, she explained to Nelson, If I took the call from Mrs. Carey, it would escalate. The next story will be, Mrs. Carey talked to Mrs. Bush. I don't want this to be news. I don't want reporters to grab this and start beating up on Teresa Carey. She doesn't know how to talk to the media. She blurts things out. You can't blurt. Despite Laura's excuses for Teresa Hines, her comments in the USA Today interview were not off-the-cuff responses during a high-pressure press conference. They were part of a recorded Q&A. Hines had apparently forgotten that, for ten years, Laura had been an elementary school teacher and librarian at inner-city schools. Hines also appeared to be implying that women who don't have jobs and devote themselves to raising a family are unworthy of respect. Soon after this, Press Secretary Gordon Jondro called Laura at the residence to say that a new Gallup poll for USA Today and CNN showed that 74% of Americans had a favorable opinion of her. Only 16% had an unfavorable opinion. We're going to get those 16%, John Dro told Laura jokingly. We're going to wring their necks and get them over to us. The following year, Laura's approval rating would soar to 85%, according to a Gallup poll. Since opinion polls first began asking about them in 1939, no first lady had received a higher rating. After Hillary Clinton and Oprah Winfrey, Laura Bush was the most admired woman in America. At the table that night in the pale green family dining room, Laura took the same positive approach to Teresa Hines's remark as she had in public. Bush had been campaigning that day in Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. His arrival for dinner at 8 p.m. did not have to be announced. Laura and Pamela Nelson could hear the helicopter, Marine One, landing on the South Lawn. After Bush took his place at the dinner table, he said grace. Sometimes I've been asked to say grace, which is a little nerve-wracking because of where you are and maybe who is sitting around the table, Nelson observed. You never know who is going to be asked, so you have a little prayer just in case he goes, Pam, go pray. One time I kind of waited too long. I was taking deep yoga breaths. Are you going to come out with it? Bush asked. Wait, it's coming out, Nelson responded. That October 20, 2004 evening, as a butler passed cheese and chicken enchiladas, daughters Jenna and Barbara Bush expressed outrage at Teresa's comment. Typically, Jenna was the more vocal. You know, Mom, she put down every woman who raised their children, Jenna said. She was saying that's not a real job. That was what was so bad about it. Not that she forgot you had a teaching job, but that she was putting down raising children. Meanwhile, Nelson, a vegetarian, selected a chicken enchilada by mistake. Laura plucked it from her friend's plate and put it on her own. She then talked about how easy it was for words to be twisted and taken out of context. You know that comment, bring them on, 
Laura said, referring to Bush's July 2003 statement challenging those who would attack American forces in Iraq. It had so many political repercussions, everything can be used a million times against you. This has to be the meanest campaign ever, Nelson said. No, the leaflets they dropped when Lincoln was running that disparaged him and his family were horrible, Laura said. People blame everything that happens on this office. Bush was tired from his trip and expressed no opinion about Heinz's comment. Instead, Nelson recalled, every time the butler came in, the president asked who was ahead in the St. Louis Cardinals versus Houston Astros National League Championship. After dinner, Bush went into his office in the residence and worked a hand-cut mahogany jigsaw puzzle lent to the White House by Elms Puzzles of Maine. Another Elms puzzle was a present from the White House staff. Imprinted on it was the face of Barney, the Bush's omnipresent Scottish terrier. Among themselves, members of the Bush campaign staff were expressing joy over Heinz's comment. On behalf of the campaign, Karen Hughes took the offensive, saying on television that Heinz's remarks were indicative of an unfortunate mindset that seeks to divide women based on who works at home and who works outside the home. Donald L. Evans, Bush's close friend who had attended Bible study with him and had been present at the dinner that precipitated Bush's decision to give up drinking, was in Florida when he heard about Heinz's comment. I couldn't believe it, Evans, Bush's commerce secretary, said. When I first heard it, I thought it had been misreported. In fact, the comment reflected a prevalent view among the 16% of Americans who said they did not have a favorable opinion of Laura. While that view rarely appeared in print, in certain liberal circles, it was fashionable to express disdain at the mention of Laura Bush. In those circles, she was thought to be a Stepford wife, someone with no life of her own, subservient to her husband. If she looked glowing, it was attributed to plastic surgery or Botox. If she smiled a lot, she must have been on tranquilizers. The chattering classes in New York City, the Hamptons, and Hollywood have a view of Laura Bush which they express to each other with giggles of contempt over cocktail party canapes and at dinner parties, said Ed Klein, a contributing editor of Vanity Fair and a noted author of books about the Kennedys. They claim that Laura Bush is a pre-feminist figure who has accomplished nothing while she has been the First Lady, has no influence on her husband or in the White House, and is basically a neuter within the Bush administration. The truth, carefully concealed because the Bushes prefer to keep their private lives private, is quite the opposite. When Laura entered the White House on January 20, 2001, everyone wanted to know what kind of first lady she would be. Would she be like Mamie Eisenhower? Would she follow in Barbara Bush's footsteps? Would she be another Hillary Clinton? I think I'll just be Laura Bush, she would say. On Saturday, April 30, 2005, the world got a glimpse of what she meant by these words when Laura pushed aside the leader of the free world and stole the show at the White House Correspondents Association dinner. 
wearing a shimmering lime-green Oscar de la Renta gown, Laura Wise cracked that she was a desperate housewife, married to a president who was always asleep at nine. She said she had to find ways to amuse herself, like going to Chippendales, where partying bachelorettes shower male strippers with greenbacks. Replayed constantly on the air, Laura's stand-up routine with its impeccable comedic timing turned the First Lady into a glittering star. But while the routine catapulted her to a new status, it did not answer the question of who she really was or just what role she plays in influencing her husband and shaping his administration. The Bushes are better than the FBI or the CIA at keeping secret what goes on behind the scenes. Unknown to the public, the Bush administration asks for Laura Bush's opinion and for any suggestions she might have on possible appointments and on issues affecting a range of agencies dealing with subjects that she has committed herself to promoting or in which she has a strong interest. They include areas such as education, the arts, women's rights, juveniles with social problems, AIDS, libraries, and the humanities. Because of her, budgets for some agencies have been increased or not cut. In one case, a well-connected top political appointee who had engaged in deceit never took his post because of her take on the issue. Craig Stapleton, who is married to Bush's cousin Debbie, was a partner with Bush in the Texas Rangers baseball team and is one of the Bush's close friends. Since the 1980s, the Stapletons have vacationed each year with George and Laura, have spent every election night with them, and are frequent visitors at the...